Hi, this is Professor Corey Olson, and welcome to the long-anticipated fourth lecture in the Hobbit series. You have no idea how happy I am to be saying that right now. This lecture is called Rescued in the Wild by the Wild, and in it I am going to talk about Chapter 6 of The Hobbit, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire, and Chapter 7, Queer Lodgings. Now, you might have seen the running time on this lecture when you downloaded it and be thinking, hey, what kind of ripoff is this? I've waited this long for Hobbit Lecture number 4, and this is all I get? Well, no. What you're seeing is a change in strategy on my part. My original plan was to go through The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion, putting out lectures like numbers 1 through 3 of The Hobbit series. That is, 30 to 50 minute lectures covering a few chapters each. Now, I'm not going to be changing how I write my lectures or work through the books, but I am changing how I release them. Rather than waiting until I have an entire lecture written, recorded, and edited, I'm going to release the lectures from now on in parts as I complete them. Each episode that you download will be shorter, but I'll be able to post them much more frequently. When I post the final part of a particular lecture, I will also make the whole lecture available in one single file on my website, if you prefer to listen to it that way. Anyway, enough explanation. On to chapter 6 already. In the last lecture, we saw Bilbo pass the turning point in his career. Left by himself in the dark in the middle of the goblin tunnels, Bilbo had what is certainly his first really successful adventure. At the beginning of chapter 6, Tolkien describes Bilbo's situation as pretty desperate, saying he had lost his hood, cloak, food, pony, his buttons, and his friends. However, when one is considering Bilbo's own growth as a character, one could just as well say he had found his wits, his courage, his luck, his sword, and his ring. I say he found his sword because although he actually acquired it a while back, he only really discovers it and uses it for the first time at the beginning of chapter 5. He has had his first serious test of character, and both his escaping alive from the mountains and his act of mercy towards Gollum show how thoroughly he has passed that test. His thoughts after coming out of the mountains show how far his status as an adventurer has improved. He is delighted to be free, but he's concerned about Gandalf and the dwarves, and he wonders whether he shouldn't go back into the goblin caves to see if he can find and rescue his friends. He recognizes that, now that he has a magic ring, he's a pretty highly qualified professional adventurer, and he needs to put his expertise to work to help his comrades. This is genuinely amazing. The idea that he could make it out of the bowels of the Misty Mountains on his own without help or guidance would have seemed absurd enough back in Bag End when he was thinking about hiding behind the beer barrels in his own cellar. The thought that he would now not only escape himself, but venture back in to attempt an unassisted rescue of his whole company is staggering. Now, it isn't that Bilbo has experienced a complete personality transplant. He still finds this a very uncomfortable thought, and his dread of the goblin caves is clearly expressed when he thinks of them as horrible, horrible tunnels. He still feels very miserable about it. But he makes the decision nevertheless, and although it immediately turns out to be unnecessary, Tolkien has given us this glimpse into Bilbo's thoughts and shown us how much the timid Mr. Baggins has changed. Now, I want to pause for a minute to address an important topic that's going to be lurking in the background for the rest of the book. I'm talking about the ring. The ring is the place, more than anywhere else, where you run into difficulties if you come to The Hobbit from The Lord of the Rings, or worse, just from a familiarity with The Lord of the Rings movies. When you're reading The Hobbit, it is very important not to be reading every reference to the ring with the Council of Elrond and the Cracks of Doom in the back of your mind. When Tolkien sat down to write The Lord of the Rings, he chose the ring as the link between The Hobbit and its sequel, and in doing so, he changed it quite a bit. He even released, as I explained in the last lecture, a revised edition of The Hobbit that was designed largely to bring The Hobbit's story in line with the new conception of the ring and its power, making changes especially to the Gollum episode. 
Nevertheless, throughout the original story of The Hobbit, and surviving in the revised edition, is the simple sense that Bilbo's ring is just a very useful ring of invisibility. There is nothing sinister or foreboding about it. As I discussed in a recent podcast, Tolkien was always working to fit things together, to find ways to take something that he had written earlier and to make it fit within the world as it continued to develop without significantly changing the story he had already written. The way that Tolkien incorporates this earlier story of The Hobbit into his larger epic is brilliant, and I'll spend a good bit of time looking at that when I start talking about The Lord of the Rings. From the Lord of the Rings perspective, Tolkien will explain the innocence of the Hobbit story and the early description of the ring as merely reflecting Bilbo's own ignorance about the ring. He will say later that in the early days of his possession of the ring, Bilbo simply didn't know that the ring was a bigger deal, and his ownership of it hadn't begun to do him much harm yet. The scene of Bilbo's return to the dwarves has a special significance in retrospect from the Lord of the Rings perspective. Looking back on this moment, Gandalf will say that Bilbo's concealment of the ring from the dwarves at the moment of their reunion was very important, for it showed that the ring was already beginning to influence Bilbo. I don't, however, want to dwell on this aspect of the story, because it's not fundamentally part of this story at all. It's a part of the later story of The Lord of the Rings, and we'll get to that. But for now, I want to talk about The Hobbit on its own ground, to read it for the story that it tells, and not just as a chapter of the larger story into which it would later be absorbed. Therefore, from now on, through the rest of the Hobbit lectures, try hard not to think about Bilbo as a ring-bearer, carrying around with him the key to the destiny of Middle-earth. For now, he is just a very lucky hobbit who has found an awesome magic ring that turns you invisible, just like he used to read about in old tales. His concealment of the ring, in his retelling to the dwarves of the story of his escape, therefore, reflects in this context not the insidious influence of the ring, but Bilbo's very understandable desire to raise his street cred. The dwarves, we must recall, still by this time don't think very much of Bilbo. They've all traveled a long way together, but Bilbo still has contributed very little to the expedition. As I mentioned in the last lecture, Bilbo's shriek of alarm as the goblins are leaping out to capture them in the cave is pretty much the only positive thing he's done on the whole trip, with the possible exception of picking up the key to the troll's cave off the ground. And so much has happened since the original capture by the goblins at this point that the dwarves can perhaps be forgiven for forgetting about it. Their attitude towards Bilbo is pretty clear when an unspecified dwarf remarks of the lost hobbit, He has been more trouble than you so far. If we have to go back now into those abominable tunnels to look for him, then drat him, I say. The unkindness of this remark is obvious, considering that we have just seen Bilbo himself deciding that he would return to those same tunnels to look for them. Still, it must be admitted that the assessment of Bilbo's practical contribution to the party is quite understandable, and Bilbo seems to know it. We already saw back in the troll encounter that Bilbo was sensitive to the lack of respect he got from the dwarves, and that he decided to pick the troll's pocket in the first place because he couldn't bear to face the dwarves without having at least tried something burglarious. Bilbo sneaking invisibly into the middle of the dwarves now, in order to give them all a surprise, is motivated by the same thing, and when he comes to recounting his solo adventure in the mountains, he is deliberately inflating his own appearance of competence and hardihood. His ostentatiously casual response to the question about whether there were guards at the gate, oh yes, lots of them, but I dodged them, is the most obvious part of that performance. Remember that Bilbo's public collapse into hysterics back in Bag End, when he fell to the floor and started shouting, struck by lightning, struck by lightning, was the moment that really fueled the dwarves' doubts. It was that little performance that prompted Glowen to make his skeptical speech about Bilbo's looking more like a grocer than a burglar. Bilbo was outraged then, and still remembers that remark now, and he is setting out to build up his credibility. 
and it works. From this moment forward, the dwarves' view of Bilbo really changes. They look at him with quite a new respect, we're told, after his story. His sneaking in amongst them undetected validates the story of his exploits as well. We are told that it is a fact that Bilbo's reputation went up a very great deal after this. The dwarves' new appreciation of Mr. Baggins is most eloquently expressed by the curiously elaborate reaction of Balin when he finds that Bilbo has snuck past him. Balin takes off his hood to him, and apparently introduces himself. And Tolkien doesn't just tell us that, he gives us their whole exchange. Balin at your service, said he. Your servant, Mr. Baggins, said Bilbo. It is as if, in this moment, Bilbo is being formally reintroduced to the dwarves. They're starting their relationship afresh, and meeting now as equals. The effect of Bilbo's performance on Gandalf is, I think, quite similar. At the start of chapter 6, his attitude towards Bilbo is very different from that of the dwarves, but he doesn't express much more confidence in him than the dwarves do. Instead of saying, drat him, he asserts that Bilbo is his friend. But he doesn't exactly go to the mats defending his usefulness to date. He doesn't say, he's my friend and he's the key to this whole expedition. He just says, he's my friend and not a bad little chap. I feel responsible for him. I wish to goodness you had not lost him. It almost sounds like he's talking about a pet here. Gandalf is thus as astonished as any of the dwarves when Bilbo suddenly materializes amongst them, but he is also more pleased than all the others. This moment is not only a new beginning to Bilbo's relationship with the dwarves, it's also a turning point in his relationship with Gandalf. Gandalf has, from the beginning, insisted that Bilbo was worth taking on the journey, but that insistence was based purely on his faith in a hunch, his strong hunch that Bilbo would be important to this quest. Notice that, to this point, Gandalf's statements in defense of Bilbo have tended to point to the future. He proclaimed in chapter 1, If I say he is a burglar, a burglar he is. But he felt compelled to qualify this by adding, or will be, when the time comes. When he jumps to defend Bilbo here, he does the same thing, predicting, If we can only find him again, you will thank me before all is over. Gandalf is confident that his assessment will turn out true, but not even he claims that there is much to justify it yet. Bilbo's sudden appearance and astonishing escape from the mountains provides the first external confirmation of Gandalf's faith. Now, for the first time, he can say, in the present tense, What did I tell you? Mr. Baggins has more about him than you guess. When Gandalf is saying goodbye to Bilbo and the dwarves at the edge of Mirkwood at the end of chapter 7, therefore, he no longer talks about Bilbo like a pet. He talks about him like a colleague. When the dwarves are lamenting that Gandalf will leave them on their own, Gandalf reassures them by reminding them that he is sending Mr. Baggins with them. The dwarves are being left in Bilbo's care. Gandalf tells Bilbo, only half-jokingly, You have got to look after all these dwarves for me. He says to the dwarves, I have told you before that he has more about him than you guess, and you will find that out before long. Gandalf is still making future predictions, but they're no longer predictions about Bilbo. He is speaking confidently and in the present tense about Bilbo, and his prediction is now about the dwarves' perception of him. We're not allowed, however, to start thinking that Bilbo has completely arrived, and is now some kind of master adventurer. He has not achieved heroic status. For one thing, his perspective remains grounded in what we might call normal experiences and concerns. He is keenly aware of the physical discomforts of their situation, complaining, My toes are all bruised and bent, and my legs ache, and my stomach is wagging like an empty sack. Even in the midst of his nonchalant description of his dodging goblin guards at the gate, he dwells with great regret on the loss of the fancy buttons off his waistcoat. 
Bilbo may have turned the corner in his adventurous career, but he still finds adventures to be nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things, and this one has now made him very late for dinner. For another thing, he still obviously doesn't fit in with the events that are happening around him, just as he didn't fit in the dwarfhood that Dwalin lent him. There may be more about him than the dwarves guess, but he remains quite helpless at times. He is too small to escape the goblins in the tunnels by running away with everyone else. He has to be carried, and he is dropped and left behind like a piece of luggage. He's the only member of the group who can't climb trees, and Dory is almost killed helping him up. He is overlooked by the eagles who swoop in to rescue them, and he has to hang on to Dory's legs or he would have been left behind. He can't even ford the river at the foot of the carrack and has to be carried again. The dwarves may have a new, higher opinion of his daring and his burglarious abilities, but that doesn't stop Dory from feeling like a porter for having to lug Bilbo around and haul him out of danger all the time. Bilbo has established a new beginning in his relationship to the dwarves and his adventure, but it is still only a beginning. Well, that's all for part one of lecture number four. In the next installment, we'll look at the goblins and the wargs, including a close reading of the goblins' songs. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.